everybody! Welcome to another episode of the podcast where we ask the question... Oh. Mm. Mm. Remember the odds? Yes. Yes. I like that we just we start sure with. Sure do. Mm. <laughs> mm. <laughs> We're thinking about mm. it. We're not sure yet. <laughs> I'm Courtney. And I'm Thomas. Tom is here. Yay. And we talk about everything on this podcast from the 2000s, from when you'd get in line. For your Harry Potter book that was just about to come out, to when J.K. Rowling did not have bigoted opinions that she stated just out in the open. She always had them. We just didn't know. Yeah, they were yet. there. It, isn't it weird, like, when you try to defend your bigoted ideology with the identity of a different ideology? Like, I'm not... Like, I'm not mm. transphobic, I'm just a feminist. Like, that's... Right. Right. It's wonderful. Yeah. Because that really helps the situation. Mm-hmm. That really helps feminism and trans community alike. <laughs> I feel like both communities would be like, JK Rowling, we don't, we don't need your help in this situation. <laughs> No, no, but no. unfortunately there are there are more turfs than than we would like to be aware about. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. um I was talking to Eric today about Harry Potter, so I was like, "Oh, Harry Potter's got to be my introduction because I can't think of anything else." Oh, that's fair. I didn't think of anything. <laughs> <laughs> like I kept think I was very much like looking into and thinking about the odds and trying to, you know, connect different albums and bands to mm-hmm. the topic of, um, of the next episode. Yes. But for some reason, I just couldn't, I didn't think of a thing. Oh, really? No. I feel like um, I've had so many thoughts about the aughts um, for, for this little, like, it's not really a mini-series that we're doing. We're kind of doing a little trilogy. Yay. Of... Episodes, would you care to explain what our plan is for the next three episodes? Well, we're cheating a little bit, but not really because it connects. But we're going to be talking about some artists that made music in the last year or two. That's very much taking from the culture or music scenes of the aughts in a Mm -hmm. fresh new way. We're going to be talking about the albums, their influences, which albums we or bands we would most say held a significant influence over this piece of, you know, these new creative directions going on as of recent. Is, is that a mm-hmm. fair, very generalized way to put it? Yeah, I feel like that was a really good way to put it. Yay. Yeah, because um, I think during the pandemic, we've seen a lot of pop punk influences. Yes. And I feel like it's done. It's here to stay. Yeah. It's come back. Excuse me, I had to burp. It's okay. So, um, I just thought it would be fun if we could do a track-by-track review of an album that I liked, an album that you liked, and then um, by the time we're done doing those episodes, by the time they come out, uh, Willow Smith will come out with her pop-punk album. Yes. 
And I just was like, let's just add it in. Let's just fold it in there. <laughs> let's just add it to the mix. Three's a good number, so. Oh, I just thought of my opening thing now. Do you want to do it now or do you want to save it for next week? I'll do it now because it's too funny. Actually, it's not funny. I think it's funny. Okay. I'm making fun of Tom DeLonge. What? From when he, Tom, he was the front, um, like when he Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because remember he had that side project, Angels and Airwaves? Oh, I bought that album. Yo, that was fire for a hot minute. They were everywhere and then nowhere. Yeah, I really liked the weird outer space astronaut part aesthetic of it. Yeah, well, that was the thing. I think it was huge when everyone thought Tom DeLonge's UFO obsession was just fictional. But now, as we that know, was... it is not fictional at all. He really, he puts a lot of money into trying to prove aliens exist. I mean, somebody, if nobody else will, let it be the guy from Blink-182 <laughs> and Angels and Airwaves. And apparently, what I've learned in the UFO <laughs> community, there is like, it's divisive because on one hand, he's a fairly big celebrity with a lot of money bringing attention to the UFO community. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, a lot of these um, very uh, nerdy pseudoscientists who push, who have very specific ideas about what's going on in the UFO community, yes. feel that they aren't being as um, they're being overshadowed by a musician, and it makes them very angry. <laughs> that must be really tough. That that is their biggest problem in life. Is yeah, that, that Tom DeLong? <laughs> You know, when you first said Tom DeLong, I didn't know who you were talking about because I'm not going to lie, I've never heard anybody say his last name until this minute. So I would read it as Tom DeLongy. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I just looked at it as Tom DeLongy. <laughs> I really want to just talk to him about aliens. I want to know everything he thinks. Well, you know, it's interesting. It's interesting that Angels and Airways is the name of his side band because... When you think about it, there are some alien movies and concepts where, like, you know, something happens to the protagonist where the aliens can reach a dimension of thought or consciousness that the humans cannot. And then it somehow folds over into almost like a biblical experience or... Yeah like ability to reach the humans in a biblical way or Christianic kind of way. And then it just sort of like folds back into religion in a strange way. <laughs> I think Interstellar does that too. And so does that boring movie with Amy Adams that people really like. Um, the one Arrival? with the pillars. Arrival. Is that yeah, the one? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that one. That one also gets like oddly... Um, like biblical in a in a weird way. Yeah, that is true. There's a lot of biblical, not all, but a lot of times some biblical implications with because it's like either you have like that smart alien sci-fi, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it all like ironically it's always kind of paired with some biblical, you know, imagery. Mm -hmm, then mm -hmm. you get um wacky sci-fi, and then you get horror sci-fi. Right, right. And then you just combine yes. it all together and it's Evangelion again. See, yeah. But that is, it also like relies heavily on like the uh, Christianic influences and um, also like Islamic and 
I think they have some well, like other Annie, like myth- uh, mythos in there. Yeah. Very um, embracing a lot of very Abrahamic ideologies yes. and imagery. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that doesn't have too much to do with what we're talking about today, but no. just, you know, space, aliens, Blink-182. Well, it, yeah, I was going to say, it does. Blink-182. Yeah. Pop yeah. punk. <laughs> um, Travis Barker definitely has a huge hand in this pop punk revival that's happened. Oh, especially with next episode. He, like, he did that whole, like, that was a collaborative effort. Yeah, yeah. And he's mm-hmm. also been helping Willow Smith with her songs, too. It's, it's, so, yeah. Travis Barker is, like, essentially, like, everyone's favorite uncle for bringing pop punk back. Yeah. He's, you know, credit to him for being not only true to himself, but staying relevant. Like, a lot of times, mm. especially in, like, rock communities, when mm-hmm. a guy stays true to themselves, they end up becoming just old, cranky, and a lot of times racist. That's what but, a lot of his counterparts have done. Yeah. Whereas Travis yeah. Barker has always remained like he's the drummer. Everyone knows him as the drummer. Right. So right. he's never lost roots with his, like, it's not like he said, fuck this. I'm going to go do EDM now. Right. He right. literally kept doing what he's always done, but was very malleable and adjustable to adapting to different scenes, collaborating mm-hmm. with different musicians. It's kind mm-hmm. of really impressive. But he's always stuck to his style of music making at the same mm-hmm. time like like you're yeah. saying it's not like he switched to edm but the reason that i'm like enforcing that idea is because you know he's not the um he's not like the the front of the band no you know he's not either of the two singers and yet everyone knows him as travis barker and somehow his career in a similar way that like Haley williams has had a lasting career, but she was still the front woman for Paramore, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it's very fascinating to me that Travis Barker, um, that his career has continued on so well. He's also with the only Kardashian that I like, Courtney. <laughs> it is partially because of the name, Fair. but also I feel like throughout the show, um, one, she's the one who clearly wants to be there the least and just wants to pay the bills for her kids. Okay. S- secondly, she's the one who is always reminding everyone else how privileged they are. You know, sometimes you need that reminder. Yeah, like, I think there was, like, one episode where they go on vacation. I think it's a meme that gets passed around a lot. But Kim Kardashian's, like, in the water, and she's like, my earrings! My diamond earrings! And then she's like, Jesus, Kim, there are people starving. <laughs> <laughs> um. Also, I recently have seen, like, because the show just ended, a side-by-side of each member of the family, like, at their first episode and their last episode. Yeah. And I... T- don't think I realized this, considering how much plastic surgery all of the other Kardashians have done. But if you look at her side by side, she is the only one who looks predominantly the same. And fair. Interesting. I didn't think about it because I'm just so used to seeing their faces and it's like, oh, it's different this time. Now it's different this time. They did something new. But I get seeing, that, yeah. seeing the direct comparison... I was like, oh, she actually hasn't gotten that much done. 
So I don't mind her so much. I like her. That's fair. So I think they're a cute couple. Yeah. I'm, I'm not one of those guys that's like, it, I guess it's like very trendy to hate on the Kardashians. And there were, there, I think there's certainly moments that highlight their lack of awareness, whether it be uh, the Pepsi commercial or, oh, yeah, uh, that was dumb. or Kim K's big birthday bash. I think Kylie Jenner's whole business needs to be like reevaluated. Yeah. Yeah. But at worst, I'm indifferent where I'm not mm-hmm. paying attention. Mm. But then there are moments where I'm like, oh, okay, that's neat. Right, right. There yeah. are some times where I'm like, oh, okay, cool, I get that. And then other times where I'm like, they make a lot of money off of promoting diet pills and like that, diet lollipops. That is something I've, yeah, that is. Yeah. A very huge issue. Yeah, that's where I'm like, most of their income is is from that. But I think also Kylie Jenner annoys me the most, just because, like, apparently, uh, you know, her be- her business is, like, not the most ethical. But also, oh, yeah. like, what millionaire's business is ethical? <laughs> yeah, it's very difficult to break that down. Yeah. I mean, we have a better job of being able to if we held, you know, if there was a level of accountability. But mm-hmm. but I'm going to bring us back on topic. Yeah. We're here today. Do you want to talk about what you're going to talk about today? I know you already mentioned it. Well, okay, but first, yes. mm-hmm. I do want to add that yes. although we were talking around it and we've been talking about like the pop punk revival and like Travis Barker, like single-handedly, like curating these new musicians to kind of pave the way. Mm-hmm. I think there is one influence that started a few years ago that I think we need to like embrace as like the real moment that um, pop punk was in like 2000s pop culture was going to come back for the younger generation. Okay. Ariana Grande's Thank You Next music video. Oh, I've actually not seen it. Have you not seen it? No. It's really good. I mean, Ariana Grande is also a questionable figure in pop culture, but that music video is really good. What's it called? Thank You, Next. It was after she and Pete Davidson broke up. Oh, it came out like two years ago. Yeah. So the whole music video is her in... um, like, recreating scenes from famous movies from the 2000s. Yeah, I was going to say, literally just the first second, it looks like a rom- like a teenage rom-com from the aughts. Like a Mean yeah. Girls or something like that. So she does Mean Girls. She gets um, one of her co-stars from um, the Victoria Justice show, uh, Liz Gillies. Skylies. Um, mm-hmm. She gets the Aaron Samuels. Um, like, so she does Mean Girls, she does Bring It On, which I really loved, because I love Bring It On. Um, she does Legally Blonde. I think there's another one in there, but I can't remember it at the moment. But... Oh my god, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I know the song. It's a good song. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I just never... I gotta pay more attention to things. (laughs) No, you're fine, Tom. Because I feel like the things that I talk about very heavily about, like, pop stars and who they're dating or, like, what's happening with this drama and this Bravo liberty, you're putting into actual topics of interest. 
and you'll be like, you know what I just started doing out of fun? I just started making boats. I learned all <laughs> of the process of learning how to make boats, and I'm going to tell you all about it right now in the next hour. And I'm like, oh my God, when did you have time to learn all of this? That's ADHD brain. <laughs> That's why that my pets are so bad. But then it's why I hyper fixate on like just anything. Do you take ginkgo? No. I'm you starting take ginkgo. I'm looking into things now. Okay. I like ginkgo. It's it's pretty helpful. Cause I get like overstimulated and then my head starts like taking all these thoughts and I can't sit still. But like ginkgo helps me concentrate a lot more. And it's yeah. not, you know. It's, it's just a plant. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, okay. So that's interesting. I see what you mean. The influence of the aughts, you know, obviously you get you know, all these references in here. They're doing the mean girls dance. Like it's very, yeah, I could see mm-hmm. like stylistically, there is this callback to the aughts being brought about. Mm-hmm. I would even say to add to that, like, just tra- it was speaking of Travis Barker, like, mm-hmm. Post Malone wasn't doing specifically pop punk, right? He's definitely bringing a lot of older rock influences into his current, like his current music lineup. And he performed with Travis Barker as well. They did, um, I remember it was a year ago at the, you know, during the pandemic, he did this amazing live concert playing Nirvana songs with Travis mm-hmm. Barker, mm-hmm. and it was it was actually really fucking good. <laughs> I'm so happy Cause today I found my friends You're in my head I'm so ugly That's okay Cause so are you Broken on years mm-hmm. And like you can tell how much this kid Cared about His music influences That he played the song mm. they, they, they did really good And he like even though I love the song the fact that Post made sure not to play Smells Like Teen Spirit means that this is a kid who grew up in the aughts loving this music and really cared to remember the details, you know? Because you would figure, right. like, for us, like, if when we were in the aughts, uh, you know, a famous musician who would cover Nirvana would have just played Smells Like Teen Spirit because that's the biggest hit. Exactly. But this kid being like, oh, no, I know, you know, I'm not going to play that song. It's mm-hmm. like this awareness and almost like is it fair to say that there's almost this like romanticized vision that's bringing a lot of the odds back but maybe in a i guess in a new more progressive way i think that happens with every decade that becomes trendy again don't you think yeah because we're bringing a lot of stuff back i'm seeing so many things where clearly the odds are back they're here to stay mm mm-hmm. mhm but it doesn't include any of the misogyny, like, pro-military <laughs> belief. Um, yeah, like there's a lot of stuff that we should definitely leave behind in the aughts. Like, for example, like Shrek 2 making a joke about police brutality. Oh, God. Yeah. Or um, yeah. Girls, Girls Gone Wild. We don't need that. Definitely don't need that. And also, like Free Britney, we don't need... Um, we don't need to put all of these like pop stars on a pedestal for only fitting this mold of what we want them to be and then laughing at their one, their joy and also their pain. Mm-hmm. 
you know, uh, that we definitely need, could be in the past. We need to leave slut shaming behind. Exactly. Which that was unfortunately a huge part. Like we were talking about comedy before. Mm-hmm, that was mm-hmm. a lot of comedy in the aughts. Yeah. Like a lot of it. Yes, there really was. I feel like there were also just like a lot more comedy specials than there are now. It, it, like, it was, it was like, like, yeah, on like Comedy Central and HBO a lot. Right. Like it was a lot more common to turn on Comedy Central and get like a half hour act. But I think comedy's making a new. I think Netflix and the new online medium with podcasting has done mm-hmm. something different. Like it's brought it right. It's brought it to a new audience in a different way. Whereas you're right. I think back then it was a lot more common to just turn on the TV and watch like a half hour set. Right, exactly. And I think also like the Bo Burnham inside special is a good example of that. And I'm actually going to bring up Bo Burnham later with our artists that we're going to talk about today. Um, But, you know, a lot of people did not like inside because they expected a comedy special. Not an hour and a half, um, like movie about um a, a man who can sing and play piano be stuck in a pandemic, who also has yeah. anxiety, and he's turning thirty, and he's turning thirty. No. <laughs> um, but so like I think that you're right. I think that Post Malone, Ariana Grande. Um, I'm even going to add, like, Halsey's song 3AM, which is also the title of a Matchbox 20 song. Sounds yeah. like a Matchbox 20 song. Well, Halsey's also playing a part in this revival. I mean, we'll totally. talk, about her, talk, talk about her next week on our next artist. Yes, exactly. So, you know, for a couple of years now, some previous artists have been laying the groundwork, and that's usually how trends build. There are the innovators, the people who start it, then there are the early trendsetters, and then there is the general masses, then, like, the rest of the general mass who follow, and then there's the outliers. So I think yeah. right now, we've, like, we're going to talk about the early trendsetters, and then now we're hitting this peak of, like, everyone's in it again. Hell Yeah. But so one of the things that I think has stuck with the 2000s, with Ariana Grande's Mean Girls um, like music video, and is also the cover of our podcast, is the like collage effect of the Burn book, uh-huh. which is the similar aesthetic that Olivia Rodrigo went for with her Sour album. And that is the musician we are going to talk about today. Yay, I insert musical sample here. Yes, yeah, half an hour into our conversation about like aliens and angels and <laughs> Oh no, it's been okay, it's been 22 minutes. We can No, do that's this. okay. I yeah, I think that's <laughs> fine though. I think I mean like I listened to Blink Check and <laughs> I think it took them, like, 45 minutes into the first John Carpenter episode to be like, we're not actually going to talk about the plot of Dark Star because there isn't much of a plot to Dark Star to talk about. And I was yeah, like, there really isn't much of a okay. plot to Dark Star. Oh, you've seen it? No. 
Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, a while ago. Why did I say no? <laughs> it's Usually an interesting I do the opposite. Film. I just agree to things. Film. Mm-hmm. But, but so, I don't remember the plot to Dark Star. <laughs> so, um, the focus of today's episode is we're going to do kind of a track-by-track review of Olivia Rodrigo's album Sour. Mm-hmm. And um, I feel like... Like I have, I don't know if I've mentioned on, the pa- on this on the podcast, I've definitely mentioned it to you personally, that when her album came out, it was like the peak, we love Olivia Rodrigo. Oh my God, she's amazing. Like her album came out and it was a huge hit. And then I said, at some point, the media is going to turn on her. Oh, okay. And I think we are definitely at that point right now. Yeah, I would say, unfortunately, you know, with yeah. This- and it's not for anything, I don't want to say necessarily truly malicious. It's just like, unfortunately, the drama of the whole thing. Right, right. Like, I remember when Marion Cotillard won, like, the Best Actress Oscar for um, her portrayal of Edith Piaf. Nobody knew yeah. who she was. I knew who she was from Big Fish, but, like, that was it. I didn't even know she was in a movie that year. And then all of a sudden, people were like, Marion Cotillard doesn't believe that the um, 9-11 wasn't an inside job. Like, it was just, like, so ridiculous. So we're kind of at that point in Olivia Rodrigo's publicity arc right now. Yeah. But, I mean, I, I really like this album, just overall. I think it's a really solid first album to begin with. Oh, yeah. Um, I think that she's really talented. I think she is, at this moment, currently, um, I think probably a, a pretty solid um, pop star for young people to look up to. So. Oh, yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. I, just, I don't know why my brain just reminded me. Yes. We talked about it, the drama with fucking Courtney Love. Yes. Yes, we can talk about that today, too. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm going to say Courtney Love's in the wrong 100%. Just putting that up front. It's so wild. Yeah. It, but that's part since, of yeah. the like the PR arc. Do you want to go into it? We, we could go into it. Well, all I know, all I remember is that her, she did album work that was very similar looking to Courtney Love's album. Um, shit, why can't I remember the name of the Courtney Love album? I forget too. But like... Whatever. Hang on, it's uh It was her album Live Through This. Oh right, you're right, that's what it was. But like anyone with like any sense of pop culture reference would know that Courtney Love's reference was Carrie. Like this whole image is like you can't get mad at someone for especially when you transform it. Like Olivia Rodrigo's image is not a mere copycat. Which even if she did do that, it would be more of a tribute set like tribute or satire. So like you yeah. can't hold yeah. And like there are people who defend Courtney Love because again, old old angsty rockhead mentality, you gotta defend the past. And it's like, no, 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 no. You know, you yeah. can't you can't get mad at somebody for taking creative liberty with an inspiration, especially since Courtney Love's inspiration was taken from Carrie. Like, you can't, what do we get? 
Like, what are we going to go, you know, now we have to go retro, you know, retroactively back into the 90s and be like, Courtney Love, you're not original. You're just stealing Carrie. Like, right, exactly. It's like, how far can we keep going? Yeah, when I look up like whole Courtney Love, there's a picture of um, Sissy Spacek as Carrie, you know, yeah. like how far back do we have to go for the original of the original of the original? Also, like Olivia Rodrigo is Gen Z, and I feel like the Generation Z kids don't have this attachment to, um, like, keeping things authentic in the sense of, like, with the internet, you can meme and you can repeat things and remix things in a way that we've never had before, you know? So, and, like, with TikTok, too, you can record things and you can repeat them and send them out to people and then that person's going to record something and post that, you know? Um, it's all about remixing things and appropriating pop cultural things that you enjoy and aesthetics that you like. It's a lot of transformative creation. Yes. Which is, which art has always been. Yeah. It's very, it's a lot of things have been taking a similar inspiration and depicting your perspective on it. That's the interesting thing about it is how did you see the same event? I mm-hmm. think Gen Z just has with the, you know, being born into the internet. Mm-hmm. They literally are the best at transforming old mediums into something new and fresh with a different perspective. Right. You know, so the only this- other time where this was really, really pertinent as like a style of making was the 80s. And back then there was like a lot more documentation still. There was still like a lot more um, like copyright involved. But we talked about this with the Who Let the Dogs Out? episode is that like in certain remix cultures and you know the way you can like transform things it's hard to keep track of who is the originator of who yeah but it's also i think in my mind like listening to the olivia rodrigo album is not a true replacement for listening to holes album so the argument that she's ripping her off is just ludicrous and attention seeking my opinion attention seeking I, I know. I hate, to, I hate to play that trope and be like, oh, Courtney loves just attention seeking, but she kind of is. Also, like, a lot of people who are listening to Olivia, Olivia Rodrigo's album aren't, like, it's not like Courtney loves losing fans yeah. to or, Olivia Rodrigo. Well, if anything, she's losing fans by being wicked. Like, imagine yeah. if Courtney Love embraced the image. And like even like that's the thing you see a lot. Like I think a better, a really great example is like Mike Shinoda of Lincoln Park. Mm-hmm. He's doing like he does remixes and features with like a bunch of these new yup, young and upcoming artists who mm-hmm. like grew up on Lincoln Park, and it keeps him relevant and keeps him like fresh in the scene. Mm-hmm. Courtney Love just comes off like an angry old boomer yelling at the youth. Yeah, it, it's not a good look. And I think if anything, like you were saying, it's like. Um, I think it's just, you know, now all of a sudden, like, these teenagers are like, who's Courtney Love? Like, you know, like, they're they don't not, have now, any yeah. attachment to this person. Now their first impression of Courtney Love is the angry old woman who yelled at clouds. Like, that's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the best, that's the fastest way to isolate your audience. Like, yeah. Like, a potential brand, like, think, of, like, even Travis Barker, like, he's working with young artists. He's doing, mm-hmm. you know, they're doing remixes and features all the time. It's how you introduce young generation to, like older artists like oh they did this thing with my favorite artist that's cool let me go check out all of blink 182 how many gen z's want to go back and listen to fucking hole now 
none. Right. I don't want to listen the whole now. No, no. I also think that same thing with, um, we're going to talk later about Willow Smith's album. She does a song with Avril Lavigne. And that's where I was like, oh, we've got to talk about Willow Smith is because I saw Avril Lavigne and Travis Barker working with her. And I'm like, holy crap, that's Willow Smith. We have to do this, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's a good way to cross the generations to find something that they both like. Um, Also, there are a lot of... Um, uh, mentions in Olivia Rodrigo's album about beauty queens and wearing makeup, looking beautiful, and a lot of that surrounds the idea of her album that, like, she was in this relationship with someone who manipulated her and made her feel like she was never enough, that he always had one foot out the door and she was just so in love with him. That she was like, I know you're used to dating these beauty queens and you left me for another actress who looks beautiful and kind. But like, when am I going to be enough? When am I going to be the beauty queen? So that's one part of it is that this is a revolving theme in the album itself. Yeah. Secondly, Olivia Rodrigo, and please feel free to agree or disagree with me. I feel like Olivia Rodrigo is the teen who like represents what people are feeling during the pandemic, especially the younger generation. Hmm. I cannot speak on that behalf because I am old. <laughs> we are but 30. I see, I see what you're saying. Well, because, like, even though I, even though it's, like, I'll, I'll pick the song that blew up. Uh, okay. Driver's License. Like, right. It's, even though I may not relate to it now, I very much understand and can feel that sensation. I mean, like, even on the bare level that, like, when I was 19, the like, my favorite thing to do was to just drive. It's this liberating moment, especially when you're going through something. Mm-hmm. It's your, like, escape from the overwhelming world. So I get mm-hmm. it. I think well, you might be right on that, even though I'm old. Well, let's get into the songs, and we'll just keep that in mind. There, So two things that I think... Olivia Rodrigo is wrestling with in this album is like the insecurity of not being enough, which is unfortunately a thing a lot of people face, especially young girls, Mm -hmm. especially now during like the time of the internet. Um, And then, you know, there's this big breakup, which is a huge part of the um, story, which I get totally into. I know that's so like, oh my god, like, read the magazine, it kind of, like, gossipy, but, like, I get kind of into that stuff. Fair, don't worry. Um, so there's the relationship aspect, there's insecurity, and then also, I think the thing is, is that she's representing a, a generation of teens who should be enjoying their childhood and are stuck at home during a pandemic. Yeah. So I think that, um, that's, like, a really huge part of her aesthetic is that like she is a teenager who is like like her live concert was a prom and a lot of kids are having a very different kind of prom this year you know yeah um so i i feel like that's all really tied together in what she's done but like you said, there is such a relatable element to her music, and I think that is what people are connecting to from any generation. I so, can get that, yeah. Yeah. So let's get started with her first song, 
uh, brutal. Okay. Um, I'm gonna just pull up the lyrics as we go. No so worries. brutal. It's it's a pretty short album. Um, it's only eleven songs, and it's only about like half an hour long. Okay. So you know she started with her first single in January, "Driver's License," as you mentioned, and then she gets into "Deja Vu." And then she releases Good For You. And suddenly there's this, like, expectation that all of her songs are going to be pop punk. I think that the very first song definitely implies that. And the title, Sour, like, you know, she has, like, the stickers on her face that are supposed to be really cutesy. But she has this really bratty look on her face and she's sticking her tongue out. Um, And I feel like... This song is very pop punk. It's also a little bit Pixies. Okay. I totally get like a Pixie sense in this. Um, with the really, really loud drum beats. Um, they're very present. But, you know, she starts the album with an audio clip of her shouting, I want it to be like messy. And I... Hmm do wonder if that was meant to be a warning for the album of like, I'm not going to make music that is just one type of sound, and you should know that now. That could be like a reference to that. Especially like, coming out of the 2010s where things were very like, it, music, especially pop music, is always manufactured, so you know, I'm probably speaking on my ass, but I feel like there is this sense to return to a more messy a little bit more liberating experiment you know sound when you go Mm -hmm. into like a punk punk you know like a more pop punk sort of aesthetic Mm -hmm. and like we were talking about with like younger people who um who like have so many influences they have so many different styles of music at their fingertips um she's been very clear that she has a lot of influences so I, I think that she was never going to go for just one sound. I think we expect a lot of people to have, like, a very polished sound. Um, we should also forget that she is, like, a teenager and somehow has been able to make an explicit, explicit album and still be a Disney star. Yeah. I feel like that would have never happened when you and I were kids. No, not only that, but I thought about it the other day. Yeah. Um how much more relevant was like because we used to buy c i mean we had mp3 players and stuff but still buying cds was a huge part of our culture right you still had to like mostly buy cds to put them on your mp3 player yeah exactly but like so remember how much of a big deal it was to make sure you got the one that said explicit on it so you weren't getting the radio edit version mm-hmm. like the idea of radio edit sounds wild to me now because i don't even listen to the radio i haven't in like 10 years but like mm-hmm. the idea that a song can get edited for radio blows my mind mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but that was and, like a big thing back then. and also just the censorship of disney's stars you know i mean yeah we obviously like every generation has like it's disney stars who have you know, gone on and gone against what Disney has expected. So for them to have no issue with her cursing, I'm I'm just genuinely a little surprised, but also very happy for her as an artist. Oh, yeah. Um, so in the lyrics, I'm just going to read a little bit of, like, the, 
you know, first verse, because it's really, it's just sort of like an introduction to the album. Okay. Excuse me. Um, right. Let's see. So she, I'm so insecure, I think, that I'll die before I drink, which I feel like is just her acknowledging that, like, this pandemic is such a scary time, like, death is so prominent that, like, what can we expect expect out of, like, our own lives and how long they're supposed to last? Yeah, well, also, like, at that age, like, you're, like, especially when you're graduating high school, mm -hmm. like, the future is supposed to be ahead of you. You have these things to look forward to. I'm going to college. Right. I'm going to experience adult things. I'm going to turn, when I turn 21, I'll drink. Now these kids are growing up in a world where it's, like, there's so much uncertainty, and it's, like, what, like, I was, like, not that you were promised, but, like, the expectation was, oh, this totally. is supposed to be the exciting part of my life. Right, and exactly. Not. And that's what I think she comments on where she says, I'm so sick of 17. Where's my fucking teenage dream? If someone tells me one more time, enjoy your youth, I'm going to cry. Yeah, cause what because what you right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because that's the thing. And I remember being a teenager and, you know, you feel like nobody's listening to you. You feel like your opinions don't matter. Everyone's just telling you what to do. You also, like, don't have much income. No. You know, you don't have much, like, that you can do, especially nowadays where it's like, okay, you have to have a mask, you have to do this, you can't be inside. Like, she's not getting to, she's not getting the opportunity to enjoy her youth like we have in the past. Yeah. So, and that's where I think that, like, the prom thing is also very important in her aesthetic because it's like, there's a generation of people who aren't getting to enjoy your youth like we got to. Yeah. But then at the same time, everyone is like, oh, enjoy it while you're young. And it's like, shut up. Stop telling me to do anything. Yeah. Um, and also, like, I feel like what's really good about the way that she handles her publicity narrative at this point. So um, I'm sure, like, everyone is already sick of hearing at this point that she was rumored to be dating her co-star from the high school musical the musical the show joshua mm -hmm. bassett and um they kept it under wraps because she was not of age at the time um <laughs> and he's 20 at the time yeah and then supposedly he like breaks up with her and starts dating sabrina carpenter um, I think you've also listened to the songs that they've made that could be in response to her song, right? Oh, they're, yeah, they're... They're not I very good. They're yeah, trash. yeah. <laughs> but they're, like, they're the epitome of, like, flex, flex TikTok culture, like, mm -hmm. flex on them, you know, it's, it's just, it's the worst part of Gen Z I don't care for. Right. Hustle, you know. I also Definitely. hate the whole, like, side part, middle part argument. Yeah. Just as a whole. I, I don't know. I, I blame that on both generations. I think it's a dumb thing to argue about. We should all just be uh, gathering together to overthrow the boomer generation. But, you know, maybe a boomer uh, started even, it. Who knows? I would, even, I would even go further. I would say Gen X. Yeah, yeah. let's take Gen X, too. Gen X. <laughs> We're coming for I, you. I have a whole rant about Gen X. I won't get into it. Okay. I have a whole rant. But Gen X, they had the potential to change things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they didn't. 
Instead, they just complain about Olivia Rodrigo albums. Right, exactly. So, but what I like about her, um, her perspective on her narrative in this love triangle is like, she's clearly being seen as the victim, right? She is being yeah. seen as like, oh my gosh, poor Olivia Rodrigo, poor, pathetic Olivia Rodrigo, just like a heartsick teenager. But I like that she actually kind of addresses that perspective and that she has complicated thoughts that could make her look a little bit more like the villain or like that maybe wouldn't give her the same like narrative of being the victim if she was honest about those feelings. So I like that in the songs she's going to open up a lot more about that feeling and it it starts pretty early on when she says like I'm so caught up in the news of who likes me and who hates you. Mm. That's a I get that, yeah. Yeah, cuz I think, you know, especially at that age, you want to be liked by people. She's in a position where like her narrative in the media is that she is the victim, but she's also kind of embracing the fact that like I like the way this makes me look. Okay, so I, interesting. And I think that's also part of the beauty queen thing or like wanting to be liked by everybody, you know? Yeah. So, let's go on to the song that gave her that narrative. Oh, wait, no, that doesn't come next. Okay. Well, so I actually have an uh I have a criticism with this. Go I ahead. really think Driver's License should come next on the album, not Trader. All right. Why uh, is that? Trader is a song that is like definitely like her big ballad and i just feel like to go from brutal to traitor is such a quick change it's such a shift um i don't know if she wanted to set up a little bit more of the content of the breakup before she gets into driver's license but i just feel like because everyone has come to Olivia Rodrigo through Driver's License. It just makes sense to me if it was the second song on the album. Okay. Um, Traitor is such like a big dramatic production that I feel like it should be four, five, or six um, track lists on the album. I can get that. Like it, it's yeah. a dramatic, like it's more dramatic. It's dying. You know, you want that a little bit more towards like the, the second half, the second arc of the story. Exactly. Um, so, and I think that this is what a lot of people do gravitate towards who aren't teenagers. They can relate to the heartbreak that she's talking about when she says in this song, like, it took you two, it took you two weeks to go off and date her. I guess you didn't cheat, but you're still a traitor. And that, that just like hits in the feels. Yeah. Because there's not really a word for that, but she found a way to explain how it feels. And I that's can a visualize it, yeah. Yeah, exactly. You can visualize it, you can feel it. And I feel like that's a really big part of like younger relationships, but also there are plenty of people who do it as adults too. Um, and it just hurts. <laughs> oh yeah. Um and, you know, she makes it clear that she's, like, setting up this picture of a guy who, like, she fell in love with. But clearly he wasn't feeling the same level of love for her and had somebody else sort of lined up after they broke up. 
Um, she also kind of implies that, like, th they had sex. Which mm. also, I'm surprised that Disney allowed to happen. Well, you can't control their, like, personal N life. No. But, you know, if you even just look at um, Demi Lovato's career, when yeah. Demi Lovato started, they had a song about being in Hollywood. Or no, was it the Hollywood song? No, there's there is one song that Demi Lovato had. Um, oh, it's called Get Back. And it was about getting back together with your ex. And in the song they say, kissing me. And then Disney had a change to holding me. Oh. Yeah. So well, it's interesting. Did they, mm -hmm. did they, well, they, did they produce, I think that's, how much of a control did they have over the actual product? I think that might play a role. Mm, that also might depend on what kind of contract these kids sign when they agree to work with Disney. True. Yeah, because I think Olivia Rodrigo did her album through Geffen. Okay. And they sort of gave her, like, complete control of the album, that and the producer. But I think that's okay. also where some of the album is, like, missing some overhead view like it's kind of like what happened with lumidy where it's like they just let this girl this teenager write an album with like very little supervision um okay i do think because of like the album is very short some of the songs do feel a little rushed i think it would have been nice if she had a little bit more supervision as well um but I still think it's um, a really great song. Okay. Okay. So now, now let's get on to the big one: driver's license. Driver's license. Driver's license. Um, I feel like this song. First of all, it's just so fucking good. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, I think. This is where, like, this is where people blew up over her. Yes, because... this is a song that stole, like, number one. Mm-hmm. Not stole, it was number one. And at the time, nobody in, like, the Spotify present era of music making had reached this height of attention. No. So for her to reach it means that she had to, like, spike through this barrier of spotify listening that had not existed yet she was the first person to really break through that yeah. um and i think that also like just the sound of it the just the dreary melancholy almost like euphoria style of the song is what was really pertinent to people during the pandemic at the time this came out yeah it was released january 8th 2021 and I think the whole feeling of the song just really felt like fit what people were feeling at the time. Yeah. Um, there was also that SNL sketch. Uh, which, which one? I'm not familiar, actually. Oh, you're not familiar with this? No. I feel like everyone's mentioned it now when they talk about driver's license. But um, when a reggae Jean Page was hosting SNL, 
they okay. do this sketch with a bunch of like grown men playing pool at the bar and the song comes on and they start arguing about the nuances of driver's <laughs> license <laughs> It's like she ripped the page out of my diary. I mean, notebook. I mean, plain brown leather. I can't read or write. I got my driver's license 55 years ago. Why is this hitting me so hard? Red lights, stop signs. I still see your face in the white cars. Front yards, can't drive past the place. Okay, that's awesome. That's funny. And they're all talking in these, like, New York accents. And then they're like, everybody knows she's just a ripoff of Taylor Swift. It's like, dude, don't you dare trivialize their experiences into (laughs) blending them together. Obviously, based off of folklore, Taylor Swift is a storyteller. That's amazing. So then, like, the big bridge comes and then they all start singing it together and, like, very dramatically. Um... And I, I think that the reason that people were so surprised that they, um, like, connected with this song is because, like, we've all felt this feeling of, like, I loved you so hard and you did not feel the same way. And look mm. at this person. She's everything I'm not. I mean, it's like an eponine level of sadness. Oh my god, yeah. That I gotta watch that skit. That sounds fantastic. It's really good. And, you know, every time she sings it on stage, too, when she gets to the bridge and she's like, I still fucking love you. It's just so sad and so pathetic, almost. That it, it's just like Eponine singing in the pouring rain. It rarely, mm-hmm. in main, especially pop culture, like the mainstream, is it like advertised to play you know like you said almost pathetic but it's so relatable like it just sometimes we feel that and we want to scream it but we're told we're not supposed to we have to put on the facade we have to put on the face we have to put on the i love hanging out by myself all day it's amazing (laughs) i've never been better it's the biggest lie we ever told ourselves but I think that's a really so big part of it. It is, like you're saying, like, pathetic, but in a way that, like, everyone's just like, I'm fucking sick of just... Especially during the pandemic, it's like, yo, can I just fucking be real and say I hate this? Right, exactly. And I think that's what she's doing. And I, I think that that's important. You're you're talking about something that's really important, is that, um, you know, every time that we're going through something emotionally, we're supposed to just sort of, like, play it stoically and be the bigger person, She's singing this whole this whole song about how he's broken up with her and he wasn't that great to her and she's and he's with somebody new. She's like dragging him in the dirt through this whole album, but at the same time she's like I still fucking love you. And there's like a, a true authenticity and honesty in saying both of those things in the exact same song. Yeah. Cuz you can feel both of those things and we all have at some point. Yeah. And the reason that um, I bring up the SNL sketch and I said that I was going to bring up Bo Burnham too was I was watching an old interview with Bo Burnham for 8th grade. I love that movie. Oh my god, it's such a good movie. And it was on, um, he was talking to Trevor Noah and he was saying how like, you know, he wanted to stop doing comedy specials because of his anxiety and he really wanted to make a movie about 
his own personal anxieties. And then he realized that, like, a lot of his fan base is 13-year-old girls. And so, you know, like, creating a movie where we all empathize with a 13-year-old girl, he was like, why does it need to be Daniel Day-Lewis as a poet in the woods? Like, why can't we all empathize with a 13-year-old girl? And why can't that just be enough as a narrative for us to relate to? Yeah. And I feel that way about this song, too, is like, why can't we all get behind a 17-year-old who is, like, excited that she got her driver's license, but it's also bittersweet because it was supposed to be with this other person. Yeah. yeah. That's that's my take on this song. Okay. Let's go on to One Step Forward, Three Steps Back. So um, this is the first song that has ever been allowed to sample Taylor Swift. Yeah, I've heard about this, mm -hmm. but you will have more details. So um, I think I've actually mentioned it in a previous episode. It might have been the Asher Roth episode when we were talking about Skeeter Brown. Um, so One Step Forward, Three Steps Back interpolates Taylor Swift's chords from New Year's Day off of her Reputation album. Um, I had no idea, honestly, when I was listening to it. I thought it was just like a little ditty on the piano. And it turns out that, um, you know, Taylor Swift gave her, you know, the sample to this song. But if they used the actual sample, then they would have to pay Skeeter Braun. Because yeah. New Year's Day from the Reputation album is still um, under like his label. Whereas what they did was Olivia Rodrigo just interpolated it and um, re-recorded it herself. Like she played the piano and added it to the track so they could just count Taylor Swift as a writing credit. Okay. Um, I thought that was pretty smart. That is. Did What did Taylor Swift, did she have any say on this? Well, I think that she's always been very, very clear that she loves Olivia Rodrigo. Um, okay. She has said that, like, Olivia and Conan Gray are kind of like her babies. And oh. I feel like this is a really good example of, like, like you said, how Courtney Love should be working with Olivia Rodrigo to kind of, like, pass the baton. Um, Taylor Swift has really done that in a major way with her and Conan Gray. And it feels very different than, like, the musicians she's, like, gone on stage with to sing with. It, it feels like she's saying, like, oh my gosh, I'm so proud of what you've been able to accomplish at 18 years old. Like, I want to do what I can to give you guidance in a way that I didn't get guidance when I was your age. Okay. So, um, this song is basically just about, um being with someone that you're in love with and they're constantly changing how they are day by day and her not knowing which version of him she's going to get. Okay. Which is also, like, hits the feels. It does. I know that feeling. Yes. Yeah. Um, 
And, you know, she says, um, oh my gosh, I want to find, like, the right area to, like, highlight, but it's hard to pick just one. Okay, like, and maybe in some masochistic way, I kind of find it all exciting. Like, which lover will I get today? Will you walk me to the door or send me home crying? Yeah. Like, this is a teenager wrote this shit. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, that's very, I get that. I get that. Yeah, and also, like, another thing that could potentially, you know, make her less empathetic is saying, like, I kind of find it exciting. Like, if you're the victim, you're not supposed to have those kinds of positive feelings towards the drama, but, like, people are complicated, and also, like, if you're in a situ- shitty situation like that, you're gonna kind of be like, okay, like, well, what's gonna happen next then? Am I gonna, like, you know, be the worst person in your life, or am I gonna be the best person in your life today? Let's see, let's see what happens. Um, when I first listened to the song, I thought that her saying, like, which lover will I get today meant, like, she's ready to start dating other people and I thought she was referring to like will I get to be with someone new today but I didn't realize that she was talking about like all of it being the same person what? okay yeah mm-hmm. okay let's go on to the next song Deja Vu which was the second single from the album. Do you know what I learned recently? Uh-huh. Deja vu is very common with people with ADHD. Oh, really? It's very, very common. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, I think this is my favorite song from the album. Okay. Um, I thought this was just like a really solid second hit coming off of Driver's License. Um... She uses a synth in it, or this, like, weird noise. This might sound random, but if you go back and listen to this band, I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, It reminds me a lot of, like, the late 2009, 2010s pop indie punk sound, where it was, like, a little bit electronic. Okay. It reminds me a lot of Passion Pit. Do you remember Passion Pit? Yeah, I remember Passion Pit. Yeah. Like, it kind of reminds me of that genre. Like, the sounds that would be on, like, the 500 Days of Soundtrack, um, 500 Days of Summer soundtrack. Yeah. Well, doesn't this song, because I know that I'm looking here, Taylor Swift is actually featured as a writer on this, because I think it does interlude uh, her song Cruel Summer. Oh, you're right. It does say St. Vincent, Taylor Swift, Jack Antonoff. That's that's correct. Yeah, she was really inspired by Cruel Summer, which also is a little bit out of Taylor Swift's realm as well. When she put it, that album on, um, when she put that song on Lover, people were also anticipating her to do a pop punk album. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I just really love this song. I think it's so good. I like that the chorus is just sort of like the same words over and over again but just like a little different um i feel like that is like one of her strengths she doesn't really do a typical chorus she kind of 
lets you linger and then goes on to the next part. And then comes her third single, Good For You. Yeah. Which I think this kind of took a very like sharp turn from her two last singles that people weren't expecting. And it's so interesting that just with, you know, those two singles, everyone was like, okay, she's going to be a singer-songwriter, ballad person. But then as soon as she comes out with this, it's so different than the other two that people are like, oh, she has to do a pop-punk album. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I love the Princess Diaries references. You know, Jennifer's Body. She does a lot of really good references in the music video. I think it's so fantastic. Um, And just also, like, the sheer fun of, like, the other two singles, like, do show her as being, like, the heartbroken one. And then this shows, like, the angry side of being the person who's been left behind in a new relationship. Oh, 100%. Yeah. So I'm glad that she kind of, like, sheds this, like, sad victim narrative to, like, I'm fucking angry at you. Um, And then at the same time, like, it does still come back to, like, you know, later on, she's going to keep singing about, like, how she misses him and stuff like that. Because you can oscillate back and forth between your emotions and a breakup. You don't have to stick with just one emotion. Man, that's very common. That's going to happen. Yeah, so I like that... um, I was reading her Pitchfork review, and uh, she got, like, a solid 7, which is pretty good on Pitchfork. They're really tough. Um, But the review said that, you know, instead of picking different perspectives and writing about different events, it's more like she writes about all of the nuances of one singular breakup. And how she can go from those different feelings. It's more about the content of the one event versus like creating different narratives or creating different stories. Okay. So I I really liked that. Um, I I thought that that was a pretty appropriate critique of it. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I mean, like, this is just a really solid pop punk banger. Yeah. A lot of people have compared this to Paramore, but I feel like there's also, like, plenty of other musicians from the aughts that this could be similar to as well. Like, Fifi Dobson. People forget about Fifi Dobson, who was a lot of fun. Um, You know, The Sounds, Lilics, even some Michelle Branch songs. Oh, Michelle Branch. Michelle Branch, yes. She has another song Olivia Rodrigo on this album that I think actually sounds a little bit like later Michelle Branch so I'm gonna bring her back into it but it's just so funny how like from this point this is only the first song that we've heard from Olivia Rodrigo that sounds pop punk but then as soon as it comes out everyone is like that's it oh yeah that's the album yeah that's Mm -hmm. the sound um and it doesn't have to be like that I mean She's still young. She can try to figure out different sounds that she likes. I wish it was, like, a little bit more cohesive from going back and forth. But, you know, she's an artist. She's allowed to choose what she wants. And, like she said, I want it to be, like, messy. Um, 
she doesn't have to pick just one category just because we feel like we need her to pick a category. Yeah. Let's go on to the next one. Enough for you. I feel like this song and Happier, I think at this point, after Good For You, this is where we start getting to, like, I wish she had a little bit more supervision on making this album. And it starts to feel okay. a little rushed. So, enough would you for say, you. Would you, mm -hmm. would you say these are more filler songs? Or yeah. Is it? Okay. I think so. I think from this point, um, like, Happier is good, but I think Jealousy, Jealousy, and Favorite Crime... Like, I think I could do without Enough For You and Hope You're Okay. So I think okay. that those two songs are kind of fillers. Interesting, because Hope For You is the last track. Now, um, I know sometimes an artist, mm -hmm. like, the last track is usually very, either very deliberate mm -hmm. or just there because they need it to wrap up. I think that's what happens, because every time I listen to Favorite Crime, I think Favorite Crime is the last song. And it makes sense to me in my head... Like, theoretically, that favorite crime should be the end because of the way she, like, does these, like, sort of, like, long, wailing solos in it. And then Hope You're Okay just feels like something that's slapped on. Hope You're Okay, I think the name really... I, I mean, I haven't actually listened to the song. Okay. It would The name would make sense to me as being a closer because it sounds like after the emotional turmoil, the back and forth, it, that's the final question. Just like, I'm moving on. I hope you're okay. I've said that several times about my personal life. Right, right. But maybe the, maybe the name is what sticks and not the song itself. I, again, I haven't listened to it. So. No, actually, I think that that's a really fair assessment for somebody who hasn't listened to it because... Just based on the title, it sort of fits the narrative she's created, but the song itself doesn't fit with what she's already been singing about for the whole album. Gotcha. Yeah. So Enough For You, I think, is where she really goes into the whole like beauty queen and wanting to be perfect for this other person. Um, okay. And how, like, when she challenges him on it or tries to challenge him on it, she that he would blame her. And she's like, no, I, I don't think that I'm the problem. I, I think it's you. I'm never enough for you. Um, that's all I've ever wanted. And it is sort of the, like, adore me. Like, let me um, please you. Let me be the person who brings you happiness, you know? That sort of, like, pleading um, affection. Okay, I'm trying to think if there's anything to... Mm. Alright, we can just go on to the next one. Okay, I do like Happier a lot. Like, of the fillers, I think that Happier is the better one. Um, and it's about, like, hearing from their mutual friends that he started dating somebody else. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Shit. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah, the first verse is, We broke up a month ago. Your friends are mine. You know I know. You've moved on, found someone new. 
one more girl who brings out the better in you, and I thought my heart was detached from all the sunlight of our past, but she's so sweet, she's so pretty, does she mean you forgot about me? Yeah. Yeah. I also really like in the second verse, this is where I feel like um, things are very different now in the pop punk era than when we were kids. Um, in the second verse, she says, um, do you tell her she's the most beautiful girl you've ever seen? An eternal love bullshit you know you'll never mean. Remember oh, when man. I believed you meant it when you said it, me, said it first to me? And now I'm picking her apart. Like cutting her down will make you miss my wretched heart. But she's beautiful. Mm -hmm. She looks kind. She probably gives you butterflies. Let's rewind to... Do you remember a song called Chelsea by Steffi? I think so. Okay. That song is literally about... Uh, is shaming a girl named Chelsea who her boyfriend sleeps with and she takes it all out on this girl Chelsea and like it talks about like how she's beautiful but she's cold as ice um she is like a ruthless man-eater she'll come after your man like there are a lot of songs in the aughts that go after the girl instead of going after the man. Yeah. I feel like in this song, Olivia acknowledges that that is a way that she feels. It makes her angry about this other person as if that's going to do anything. But she also acknowledges that that's hopeless and mean and that she also acknowledges like, this person is beautiful, this person is kind, I'm angry at you. She probably makes you feel great. This song is so good. I get, I, I, that's deep. I appreciate that. Yeah, me too. Because it's like, you know, like I said, she could continue to like bash the other girl. And I'm pretty positive a lot of her fans have. Yeah. Which is not okay. No. I don't think the way that Sabrina Carpenter has handled it is great either. No. Because she came out with that song Skin and people, oh, no. I don't understand because I think Sabrina Carpenter is a good singer, but I hate all of her musical choices. Because it's very much based on this like Gen Z flashy, like, like crush it culture. Like it's everything's about the, you know, the clout and the grift. It's ridiculous. You know, it's just kind of like a whole part of that scene. Right. Like. Because when she gets asked about the song, like, does this have anything to do with Olivia Rodrigo and Joshua Bassett, it kind of pairs up with what they were singing about. She gave this really elusive answer that was like, I know what it's about. I know what people would like to know what it's about. And isn't that so interesting that we can listen to a song and think about that? It's like, oh, what Jesus, did you just stop. say? <laughs> like, that's not it. an answer. Jesus, oh my God. <laughs> but I love the chorus in this song because it's just I hope you're happy just not like how you were with me I'm selfish I know I can't let you go so find someone great 
but don't find no one better. I hope you're happy, but don't be happier. I I feel that. It's a very mature thing to express. It's, but it's still angry. Like it doesn't, it's, yeah. I think that's where the maturity is. That you can acknowledge. It's like, well, I want you to be happy, but also I feel this at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. It's a solid song. Okay. Now we are down to, we're down to the last three. We're getting there. Let's do it. Okay, now this one kind of picks up the pace again, and I think sometimes you need that. Sometimes in the later tracks, you need that song that kind of picks it up again. Uh, mm-hmm. Jealousy, Jealousy. Jealousy, Jealousy. Um, I had been a little concerned, I think I had told you this, that... As she was becoming more famous, I was worried that Olivia Rodrigo would fall into the trap of, like, young um, star, like, young celebrity gets plastic surgery. So I feel like this song actually addresses her discomfort with that, and I appreciate that. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm-hmm. You know, she says, "Um, I know their beauty's not my lack. But it feels like that weight is on my back. And she says, Comparison is killing me slowly. I think too much about kids who don't know me. I'm so sick of myself. I'd rather be, rather be anyone else. And then she says, My jealousy, jealousy started following me. So, like, I feel like she kind of uses following as, like, this double entendre for like followers on Instagram. Okay. So this song um is the one that I said I feel like kind of sounds a little bit like later Michelle Branch. Um her third album all has this like very like cool, like whispery, like rocker chick vibe. And I feel like this song has that too. But at the when we talked about doing this little trilogy, you said like, oh, we should come up with somebody that we think um, sounds like the most like it or somebody we should compare it to from when we were kids. And this was the song that made me realize my choice for Olivia Rodrigo's Parallel. Okay. I think... Although people wanted to compare her to Paramore or like, you know, Taylor Swift influence. um, I think this album's biggest influence is Fiona Apple. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. And if you if you look at her Wikipedia page, it it does say she is heavily influenced by Fiona Apple. Um, I think that like sure that lends into the singer songwriter aesthetic. But also, Fiona Apple is also really good at creating these, like, nuanced descriptions of experience and emotion. Okay. And when she gets to the bridge and she's, like, shouting, like, all your friends are so cool, you go out every night in your daddy's nice car, yeah, you're living the life. She's, like, shouting, and there's also these, like, piano chords that you feel like she's just throwing her hands against the piano keys. 
And then I was like, oh my god, it's Fiona Apple. Especially, like, her 2004 album that I really love. Okay. But it definitely has, like, a lot of influences from Criminal. I feel like a lot of that overall in her album. Like, the way that she, like, describes things... And the way, like, she doesn't always go into, like, a typical chorus. And, you know, Fiona Apple, although she is predominantly, like, a singer-songwriter, she can sometimes, like, build on other aesthetics. I don't think that that was always so prominent in the way that it is now. I feel like now, you know, pretty clearly um, artists can go from one genre to the next. But I think that she still borrowed enough from, like, rock and jazz and classical music that she could play around. Okay. And also the way that um, Olivia Rodrigo will kind of do her vibrato reminds me of Fiona Apple a little bit. Like, she'll just sort of let the vibrato, like, linger on one piano note. And that really stuck out to me as, like, a very Fiona Apple-esque technique. Okay. Um, I also just really love Fiona Apple. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So now we're down to Favorite Crime, which is what I think should be the album's final song. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that before. Yeah. yeah. It, it's just, it, it really, like, ends on a strong note. Um... And this is, I think, also kind of uncomfortably about, like, that she's underaged. Uh, a little bit. It's it's not actually about that, but I feel like it could also be about that. But and I haven't actually heard the song, so I wouldn't know. But that's mm-hmm. mm. um, it it's kind of about like at this point, her friends are witnessing the way that he treats her, and they're starting to get upset. They're starting to disagree with her that he's good for her. And that, like, um, that he's sort of allowing it to happen, especially because, you know, he's interested in somebody else. So it's like, it's kind of like, you know, he's robbing her of her chance to be happy with somebody else by just leading her on and letting her fight with her friends. Um, like, what's a good line? You used me as an alibi. I crossed my heart as you crossed the line. And I defended you to all of my friends. Um, and now every time a siren sounds, I wonder if you're around. Because you know that I'd do it all again. And in the chorus, it's just, oh, the things I did, just so I could call you mine. The things you did, well, I hope I was your favorite crime. Oh. Like, he definitely led her on, and it was wrong for him to treat her like this. And that, in a way, like, is a flaw. It's a crime. I think that's what she means by the crime. Okay. But it also feels a little, like, hmm. I mean, 20 isn't, like, a mature person. But... As the two older people in this love triangle, you would hope that they would have some sense of better judgment. Yeah. 
but you know, clearly not. <laughs> I understand. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then she's saying in the bridge that like, you know, it was okay if all of my friends were mad about this and they disagreed with us and we like lost everybody if it meant that we were together, but clearly that's not what you wanted. Hmm. But she also says in the bridge, like, another line that I do feel like, you know, expresses that, like, you know, she is a person with negative feelings and maybe not, like, the most attractive, like, hero of the story feelings, where she says, um, but I say that I hate you with a smile on my face. But I kind of like a lot of the angry Olivia. That's fair. You know what? Sometimes you just got to feel it. You got to allow yourself to feel it and not pretend it's, you know, you, it's that pressure, mm-hmm. especially going through a breakup. Like the mature one is always the one that people perceive to be doing the best. Right. When in reality, that's kind of, um, it's a bit of a anti-soul. Like it's a very unempathetic way to deal with a breakup. Like, I was going to say. They're handling it so well, and they're doing good. They just the other one just needs to move on. It's like, so are you? Are we? Why do we put validation? Not not that we shouldn't, but it's almost like there is this social reward for walking away from a relationship unscathed. Well, it is a little bit like toxic positivity or like silencing the other person's feelings. Yeah, but my like that's what bothers me about the whole thing is it's like should we? Why are we rewarding the person who? almost felt lesser for the other person. Right. Exactly. And, you know, also there is sort of that tug and pull between her of, like, I'm so mad at you, I hate you for doing this to me, but also i take you back in a second if you just, like, acknowledged me. You know? That's, like, once again, is that, like, pathetic feeling of, like, oh my god, poor Olivia, she is really in it. Yeah. Um, so I, I do really like this song. I just feel like I don't know why they added another song on top of it because I feel like as far as the story that Olivia is telling and like the journey that she's taking on us all with, this is the end of it. Like musically, narratively, um, I, I just think this is how it should end. Yeah. And then we're going to get to the last song. Hope you're okay. Which is just, um, you know, I think at this point she's kind of realized that she um, is somewhat responsible for being somebody that younger people look up to. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if this was just, you know, to, like you said, like slap on a last song or if this is a story she wants to tell, but maybe she's just not quite there yet as a songwriter. But um, it's about two people that she knew um, who are presumably in, like, the LGBTQ community. How, like, Mm -hmm. when they were children, um, they were struggling with things and struggling with their families. And how she hopes that now one day, someday that they're doing okay it just doesn't fit the rest of the album that's fair it's a, yeah, it doesn't, yeah. yeah 
it's a sweet message and it's a sweet thought. It just feels really tacked on. I can I can see that, yeah. And I don't think that like the way she feels about it is tacked on. I think she does genuinely have concern for making people feel like, hey, it, it can be okay, like eventually, like nothing's forever. Um, like it it can work out. Um but you know, it just doesn't seem to fit the rest of it. No, I get that. Narratively, it doesn't fit in the overall, you know, pers- you know, story being told. Right. And I think in the bridge, she does try to find a way to kind of like bring it back to the theme of like address the letters to the holes in my butterfly wings. Nothing's forever. Nothing is as good as it seems. And then it's like, oh, see, like I'm going through something too. And it will get better, but it's like, ooh, that's a different thing than those other people you were describing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think maybe this might have just been, like, an experiment in her trying to talk about something else. And I'm sure there's plenty of other great music that she'll write. I just don't think that this is it yet. That's totally fair. Yeah, so it's kind of a, a letdown on, like, the end of the album. But, but hey, it's her first one, so... Exactly. It's her first one. It's been a huge hit, you know? Um, I don't think she has to worry about, you know, not getting a second album. No, of course not. No. But, um, you know, I look forward to seeing what she does next. And, you know, uh, the Pitchfork article also said, like... This song does feel like it doesn't fit, but I hope that in some way, whoever is listening to the song and they do relate to it, that they do find some joy and some Solid hope out of it. it. Yeah. yeah. So in that sense, like no matter what, it's a good song. Um, I'm just critiquing it as like a whole. It's all good. Yeah. Worry. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, I, I think like what a great album for someone to start off with you know yeah um and i i just i feel like you know if you listen to it there's definitely like a lot of aughts influences like you know i mentioned passion pit and there's you know obviously the paramore reference but i think overall like if you compare it to fiona apple the sound that she's going for makes a lot of sense that makes a lot of sense i can feel that how how are you feeling after listening to me talk about this for about an hour now? I have absorbed a lot of it and I am analyzing it in my head. Yeah. I will have to give these a more thorough listen. It's a really good album. I think that you personally will relate to a lot of the stuff mm-hmm. that she wrote. I feel it already. Yeah. But I feel like also, like, I do think that a lot of what she has to say is kind of representing this teen generation that's stuck at home and not getting to experience the teenage years that they should get to before they go off and be adults. Yeah. It's kind of the unfortunate reality of the state of things right now. Yeah. Which um, is why I thought that she, um, I thought it was really clever for her to make her like YouTube concert themed like a prom. That was really wicked. So I went to her website today for the first time and I noticed something that I have not seen in a really long time, 
which that? is like the teen catalog aesthetic. <laughs> like I looked at her pictures and for some reason it reminded me so much of Delia's. Huh. And I, I kind of l- liked that. I don't know what it was. It was like the plaid. She wears a lot of plaid. Um, her pictures are very like, um, they look like they're in a catalog. And then also, you know, she has these sort of like pop punk little doodles in the corner of her page. Little doodles that we have in our podcast image, you know? Yeah. Um, so it feels like despite, you know, sort of these like oscillating genres and music, I feel like her image is very clear. Um, and I respect that as like this representation of like new pop punk for this new generation. Okay, wicked. I'd have to check it out. What do you What do you That's think a, about? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was gonna say honestly, like from I know this has like been the word of mouth and a lot of discussing points for Olivia Rodrigo, mm-hmm. like her making like a pop punk album. I know that one of my favorite content creators, the Punk Rock NBA, has talked about that, mm. and your breakdown of it definitely puts it into perspective of the different influences, not just pop punk, but a lot of arts culture and i think what resonates with it for you and then now even so much more for me is its relatability on emotions that i experience as an adult Mm -hmm. but almost brings things back aesthetically to the era in which we were entering adulthood Mm. and this unfortunate reality that like like when we graduated high school like that summer, I just remember being like, we could do whatever we wanted. Some of us got cars. Cars were literally like the freedom to do whatever. We drove everywhere. If you wanted, if you wanted to go to Sonics. Yeah. No, there was no Sonics in, when we were 18. No, but if I think once we were 20. To, yes, yeah. the Sonics opened when we were 20. But like, still, if you wanted to go drive to a fast food joint and hang out all night in a park, you could do that. Mm-hmm. And it's this unfortunate reality where that's not the case for a lot of the kids who went through high school the last two years. It's a lot more isolating and scary and uncertain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So those are my thoughts. No, I, I think that's a really good point. And, like, that's what I think I, like, connected to, like, Bo Burnham saying, like, why can't we connect to an eighth-grade girl? It's, like, I think that's what it is. Like, a lot of us... um are like relating to this teen girl in like a lot of her heartbreak because we're feeling and experiencing so many, so much melancholia, you know, like so much melancholy during the pandemic that hearing this girl sing about it and just heartbreak is like endearing, nostalgic, relatable. And also like, we want to protect her to some degree, you know? Yes. We we must protect. Yes. And also, like, after her album came out, there were just a bunch of people writing reviews like, I'm a millennial. How do I like Olivia Rodrigo? And it's like, that's the problem. Like, don't say shit like that. (laughs) It is really cringy, this trend of, like, millennial moms on TikTok attacking the youth. My God. Because it's like, if the whole point is to not seem old, if you're going on TikTok to highlight and make fun of the youth, you automatically sound old. And it's, like, the worst possible way to look old, too. Yeah. I mean, look, Bo Burnham sang a song about turning 30 and how it makes him feel old. And Gen Z kids love it. Yeah, because that's that's a relatable fear that they like. I remember when I was nineteen, the inevitable idea of aging, like it's right. that's relatable. 
being an old like a mom in her 30s punching down on some tiktok kids that's just cringy yeah yeah and when he says like okay well, when you kids have like a disassociative behavior because of your phones don't come crying to me that's funny because like up to a certain extent comedians are supposed to poke fun at their audience so it feels like he they is are, yeah. criticizing his own audience so it's like it's funny it's cheeky um, when millennial moms do it, it's like, Karen, just go to Pier 1 Imports, okay? Like, go yeah, go buy yourself a rustic table centerpiece with, like, a candle in it or something, okay? Don't be on TikTok. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, well, Tom. Yes. What has been your obsession? I had one. Mm-hmm. And I forgot. I know, me too. I've been watching more <laughs> movies lately. I've been watching a lot more movies lately. Yeah. Which is nice. I think I mentioned I rewatched, I'm rewatching the Rob Zombie Halloween movies. Oh. We will not have an episode on them for October because those movies are too violent. Just, just for now. <laughs> but, but they are interesting. Mm-hmm. I don't hate them as much as I used to. And I think there's some interesting things there and some very uniquely odd things to say about the films. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I, I haven't watched Rob Zombie's Halloween 2 yet. That one's the weirdest movie ever made. Okay. And I'm excited to, I'm excited. To, it's like hipsters in Salem and like weird witchcraft and Michael Myers. It's, it doesn't make sense. A white horse. <laughs> uh, there's like puppeteered like what? pumpkin children. It's wild. Oh my gosh. It's a wild movie. It's like if Rob Zombie took influence from Tim Burton, uh-huh. did acid, and let Gigi Allen film it. That sounds like such a hot mess. It's bizarre, and I haven't seen it since it came out, so I'm very excited as a 30-year-old man in 2021 to actually revisit it for the first time. Okay. But that's that's it for me. <laughs> and also congratulations and love to I don't know if he listens, but Nick and Nick! Sheena, we love you. Nick and Happy Sheena. Wed- you know, congratulations. It was an amazing wedding. Such a good time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was that was a great wedding. We just finished going to our friend's wedding. And uh yeah, it was it was a good time. I'm actually gonna say my obsession was um your little uh um, oh my god, I can't figure out the name for it right now. Oh, the little Lego things. Oh, the cufflinks. Yes, you you all had, um, all the groomsmen had Lego cufflinks. That was amazing. That's what I'm obsessed with today. Them. They were beautiful. I love themed cufflinks. I don't know why. Like, it, I know that they're, like, a thing. I know that they're kind of kitschy. But I like kitschy. I like kitsch. Okay. It adds a little personal touch to an otherwise very object. Like it's a very ritualistic thing. Yes. And then all of a sudden, there's just a little touch. Yes, exactly. There's a little personality. I don't think that the guys get to like individualize their experience in weddings as much as like the women try to do historically. Category. You know. Um. I I feel like y- y'all just show up in a suit and then that's it. So mm-hmm. um, I, I liked the little Lego cufflinks and I liked the little Lego peekaboo aspect in their wedding cake. It was very cute. It was really cute. Yeah. Okay. That's it. So I guess right, Legos. Guys. Yes. 
with that, thank you so much for tuning in to our mini series on taking modern albums that are pop punk and talking about their relatability to the past mm-hmm. and what they mean and how far we've come and the influences and the this and the that and the tune in next week for my turn mm-hmm. i'm gonna be talking about machine gun and kelly's tickets to my downfall i'm excited to hear also, your take on it there's gonna be a lot of repeating players involved and i think that's that's kind of the point right so it's gonna be a really fun story to tell i'm excited and uh, with that, be sure to follow us on the Instagram. Remember the 00S podcast. Just type us into Google. You'll find us on most places, Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, <laughs> I think, and YouTube and other places. Podbean? Maybe. 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 Yeah. But thank you so much for tuning in. And that is all, folks. Bye. Eugenio! I need to hear that freaking bridge again. Yeah! Yeah!